Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Titus. Book of Titus. As we read earlier in our service, it'll be chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And as you're turning there, I want to begin to uh, get us thinking a little bit about um, uh, maybe something that you've experienced in your life, right? Have you ever been on the receiving end of a generous gift or an act of service, something that was uh, done for you that was so thoughtful and and something that you didn't deserve that left you in awe or wonder that someone would be so gracious and kind and loving, right? Maybe you've been in a near-death experience, a situation where you almost lost your life and, and the actions of an individual uh, played a major role in the preservation of your life. Maybe you've been in a situation like that. And if you've experienced uh, or, or received a gift of extraordinary value uh, that you didn't deserve or that was very generous or, or maybe you've been in those kinds of situations, then I'm sure you'll understand that a common perspective or a common response to those uh, maybe would be like, wow, thank you so much. How could I ever repay you? Or I am in your debt. What can I do uh, in response, in return for what you've done for me? And that's a natural way to respond when, when things of that nature are given to us. Maybe it's a sum of money or, or maybe it is that uh, life-saving act from a, an individual. You know, whatever it may be, that is your typical response. And that is exactly how you and I should respond to the greatest gift of grace ever given to us. A gift given to us by God through the gospel. And when we understand who God is as an all-powerful, all-knowing, gracious, merciful God who is the creator of the universe, who is holy, right? And we understand what he has done for us. He sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross and to purchase us with his blood from our enslavement to sin. Then when we recognize those things, we should be compelled to respond with, here's my life. Take it, use it. How can I use it to bring you honor and glory because I recognize what you have given to me? I recognize that you are my redeemer. In our passage here this morning, we'll see through the way Paul simply addresses a letter and communicates what he holds dear, what he values, and what his mission is, I think we'll come away with this concluding thought. That those who are redeemed by God must serve him. That those who are redeemed by God must serve him. And as we think through this concept, I I think that we'll be able to uh, ascertain some considerations that help us see what that means 
to serve our Redeemer. And the first consideration that I want to look at comes from verse 1. So follow along with me, Titus chapter 1, verse, or, or, yeah, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. And so the first consideration that I think we can draw from these verses is this. Serving our Redeemer means furthering the gospel. So here in verse 1, we see Paul attributing to himself a couple of different labels. And the first is that he is a bondservant of God. And, and this word could also be translated a slave of God. This is a very common theme that we see in the writings of Paul. There are numerous places throughout his, his letters where he talks about this idea of being a slave of Christ or a slave of God. And, and this idea of slavery would have made sense in the context in which he is writing. In that day and age, there were uh, oftentimes slaves sold um, into good situations with honorable masters and into poor situations. And, and I believe Paul is using this illustration or this language of slavery uh, to communicate that he knows, uh, what, excuse me, to communicate what he knows to be true about his redemption. He recognizes that he was once slave to sin. He was unable to please the Lord and then Christ, by his blood, brought, bought Paul and redeemed him. And so in recognizing this redemption, it, it drives Paul to label himself as a bondservant. It is a humble response with a heart of dedicated service to the one who has showed him such an immense grace. Paul go, goes on then to describe uh, the specific way in which he is a bondservant of God. He is a slave of God, and that is as an apostle. This is one who has seen uh, the risen Savior and, and is sent by God to do a specific work of the ministry, right? And we're going to see a little bit later that it's to preach the gospel. And this apostleship gave Paul the authority to teach and guide a young and growing church, hence his letter to Titus in the first place. He's going to take this opportunity to share um, knowledge and wisdom in how God has worked in his life and how God has revealed himself to Paul and share it with Titus as he grows in his ministry. Paul then shares a, a description about who God is. And it serves as kind of a motivation for, for why he is uh, serving the Lord in this way, why he is giving so much effort to his ministry. He says, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. And that word according or for, maybe in your translation, communicates this idea of purpose. This is his purpose. As I am a servant of God, as I recognize my redemption in Christ, this is my purpose. It's to bolster the faith of God's elect. It's to help both believers and unbelievers know the truth, to acknowledge the truth of the gospel, which ultimately will result in a, in a godly life.
And he also points to the hope of eternal life, the end result of our salvation. And so it's kind of a threefold mission to bolster the faith of God's elect, of God's children, to bring people to an acknowledgement of truth, which accords with godliness, which produces godliness, and to point to the hope of eternal life. Both believers and new converts can be encouraged by the truth of the gospel and the hope that results from that relationship with God. That's intrinsic in who he is as a bondservant of Christ. When I, when I was in college, I was a, an RA. And if you're not familiar with that uh, particular uh, job description, it, it's a residential advisor. Um, and in a nutshell, what my uh, position entailed was that I had spiritual discipling relationship with the guys on my floor. Um, I helped enforce rules and help understand why the rules were put in place. Uh, I helped keep the dorm from burning down, uh, which was a task at times. Um, and I helped uh, freshmen not lose hope as they faced the daunting task of this new life experience, which is college. Now, within the, the job description and the contract that I signed, there's this little clause called other duties as assigned. And this meant that the RAs were at the mercy of the student life department and the presidents of this uh, Bible college. And this clause had us doing all sorts of, of things uh, from uh, throughout the year, including but not limited to painting the entirety of student life. Uh, or getting up on top of our vice president's roof and fixing it, uh, which I had no experience doing, but we were happy to serve, and uh, it was quite the experience. And, and there were times when I thought about complaining about this clause, like, why are we doing this? This seems like something that somebody else should be doing. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized this is just what it means to be a servant in this context. It's intrinsic with the job description of being an RA, and that's great, and it was a blessing to a lot of people, and we were able to serve in that way, and I got to learn some new skills. In a similar way, there are things that are intrinsic to being a redeemed servant of God, and so as we think through this idea of what it means to further the gospel, of to be a servant of God, um, furthering the gospel is intrinsic in that. We've been given such an amazing gift and such, an amazing, uh, such amazing news that transforms lives, that gives hope, that, that saves. And our response should be to further that gospel. And if you're here today and you've placed your faith and trust in the work of Christ through his death and have believed that Christ rose from the dead, sealing your redemption, then we, like Paul, have been bought with a price. And that price is the precious blood of Jesus. And because of this incredibly awesome and merciful sacrifice, we, like Paul, are also servants of God. And this reality, excuse me, this reality means that we must join in the work of the master in furthering the gospel. But what does that mean for you and I? Well, in the way that Paul described it, bolstering the faith of God's elect, 
helping bring people to a knowledge of the truth and pointing to hope. So maybe it means for you and I building up one another in faith and pointing each other to Christ, praying with one another, taking time to get to know each other, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, allowing the grace and mercy of God that's been shown to us to compel us to show the same to the people around us, even if your personalities don't match, even if it might be a challenge. Maybe it's admonishing one another in love and restoring erring brothers and sisters in Christ to their Redeemer. It, it reminds me of Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, where it talks about how we as believers must be in the word together and, and help uh, grow in our knowledge of who God is through the word and, and teach and admonish one another. Call each other to repentance and help us as we seek to help each other live uh, for our Savior and worship together in song. And all of these things take place within the local church. And so it, it's, it's a vital part of, of our lives as believers, as servants of God, to be in a local church and to serve in that way. It also means sharing the truth of the gospel with those who have yet to believe. That they might understand and come to salvation and be able to live a life that is pleasing to God. This isn't a good news that we keep to ourselves. This is a good news that we share with those around us. And so it compels us to, to make an effort to build relationships with coworkers, neighbors, fellow gym members, classmates, teammates. Whatever your context is, it should compel us to build those relationships and to model what it means to allow the truth of God's word to play a role in how we live our lives. The decisions we make, the, the choices we make, the people we surround ourselves with, and how we live. It also means that we live in light of the hope we've been given in Christ. This hope of eternal life allows us to be joyful in our response to trials. This life isn't easy and this, uh, there are things that happen that are difficult and hard. But because of the hope we've been given in Christ, we can model what it looks like to be joy-filled even in those instances. Even when we get the news about a sickness or we are faced with money troubles or a broken down car or maybe it's lots of homework. Maybe it's deadlines that are coming up. You know, whatever it may be, we can respond in joy and, and cling to the hope that's been given to us in the gospel and that shows that displays the gospel at work in our lives, not because we're responding well in our own strength, but because the reality of our redemption is changing us. It's transforming the way we respond, and that displays the character and nature of God in the, the gospel through us. It creates a zeal for godliness as we reflect on just what it is that we've been given. It should compel us to live in extravagant ways for, for God, in, in, in serious, committed ways. Each of these helps further the impact of the gospel for both believers as we, as we live in faith together and unbelievers as we live in a world that is lost. And so as we think through these ideas as being uh, the purpose of Paul as a bondservant that we see in this text, I think we also can, can glean these truths for ourselves as well. That as redeemed servants of God, we must serve God by furthering the gospel. 
in this next section, we're going to see that serving our Redeemer means submitting to his faithful sovereignty. Serving our Redeemer means submitting to his faithful sovereignty. Look with me again at verse 2. In hope of eternal life, that was part of our previous section, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through, the preach, through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Paul then moves in this section into a, a description of God that I think sheds light on a couple of elements of his character that are vital as we, ser- uh, as we seek to further the gospel, as we seek to serve our Redeemer. And the first major statement about God we see in this section is that um, God cannot lie, but rather he has promised this hope of the gospel and now has revealed it through the preaching and proclamation of his word using men like Paul, who have been charged by God to preach the gospel. And I think that this demonstrates God's faithfulness. He's promised a hope. He's promised a redemption. And now uh, he has brought it to pass. He's created a way for his um, mercy and grace and love to be extended to men. I think that shows his faithfulness, that he's a promise keeper. I think there's another element of God's character that is seen in this section, and it it comes with um, kind of alongside his faithfulness, and that's his sovereignty. And we see that in the fact that, that he promised this before time began. And it was accomplished in due time. There was a plan from the beginning, and at the, at the proper time, at the due time, in his own timing, he brought it to pass. He manifested this glorious gospel. And I think that this shows God's sovereign control and his sovereign plan and work of redemption that existed before time even did. Um, and he had a timetable to exact this plan, and he had a method for its execution. He uses individuals like Paul, like you and I, to further his gospel work. That's an incredibly humbling thought. Paul, a servant of God, has a part to play in God's sovereign and faithful plan to bring the gospel of hope to a world that needs it dearly. He didn't fight it. He didn't try to do things his own way. He He was not made aware of his role to play, his commitment to preach the gospel, and he didn't respond with, yikes, that sounds hard and uncomfortable, and I think I'll pass. Right? Think about it. We we just came through the book of Acts. How many times was Paul in a position of suffering or trial or just in literal chains? Rather, he yielded to what God's ultimate sovereign plan was, and he played his role faithfully. My dad's a car salesman. Uh, He's been a car salesman for years, and uh, car salesmen can get get a a bad rap every once in a while for being uh, dishonest or sneaky in their dealings, and uh, just to make a little bit more money off of you, right? Right? 
My dad's not that way. I'll just preface it that way. In all the years that he's been selling cars, he's, he's told me on several different occasions that the thing that, that helps him keep his clients, the things that, that helps him uh, uh, sell cars and have people come back and buy from him again is to just tell them the truth. Say, hey, this, this isn't what you're looking for or this isn't going to be uh, a, a great car or, I mean, this is the best thing I can give you as far as price or whatever. And, and he's very keen to say, I'm just upfront and honest and Simply tell them the truth, and they're more likely to get the car they need and want for a good price, and they'll come back next time when they want to buy again. And so he would say that the nature of a good car salesman is one who is honest, who tells the truth, and who gets you a good car, uh, which then motivates you to come back and buy from him again. Don't worry, we're going to transition from that. (laughs) Similarly, God's character is faithful and sovereign and should motivate you and I to submit to his plan for us, which is to participate in his redemptive work. It's the character and quality of who God is that motivates us, that motivates you and I to serve him. Because of our redemption, God in his love and mercy has purchased us with the blood of his son to be like servants. So as we continue thinking about what it means for us to serve our redeemer, here I think it means submitting to God's faithful, sovereign plan, to his character and nature. But what does that look like for you and I? Maybe it means taking time and figuring out what part you have to play in that plan. How can you be a part of the process of of spreading this message of hope to a world that desperately needs it? This text highlights the preaching of the word, but not everyone is is, uh, called to preach Not everyone is qualified to do that. Maybe it's simply to just be a faithful witness in your workplace, inviting people to church or to a Bible study. You may be passionate about hospitality, and maybe you can use that as a part of the the redemptive plan of God to share the gospel by opening up your home and showing Christ-like compassion, love, and generosity. Maybe you work really well with kids or can relate to young adults. Maybe that means finding a way that you can help with college ministries or the youth group or or kids ministries and outreach in that way. Maybe you're really personable and social. Maybe that means being a part of an outreach team or, or maybe pursuing missions. Maybe you're good with music and you can help lead worship or Enter a community choir or something for the sake of of building relationships with unbelievers so that you can be a part of the gospel work. And and even if there's not a specific desire that you have or, or way you think God has gifted you, because of God's faithful and sovereign character and the nature of our redemption, the glory of the gospel, we must all yield ourselves to the reality that God uses people. He uses you and me in unique ways to further his redemptive work. And we must yield ourselves to that in response to his faithful, 
and sovereign character. We shouldn't view this salvation as some sort of pass to go through this life doing whatever we want uh, for our own pleasures just without the fear of eternal separation from God. That's a very small view of the, of the, the depth of that mercy that we've been given. We should instead allow God's sovereign and faithful character at work most beautifully through the gospel to compel us to serve him and submit to him and to further the gospel. The final consideration that uh, we can think through as we look at Paul's introduction here in Titus is that serving our Redeemer means training new servants. Serving our Redeemer means training new servants. Paul has identified himself as a servant. He's helped us to see his purpose of of bolstering the faith of God's people, of sharing the knowledge and the truth of God's word through the gospel, of the gospel, helping people live godly lives, and pointing people to a hope that comes only from a relationship with God. We've seen his, his motivation, the sovereign and faithful character of God. As he's promised this gospel, as he's promised this redemption, and he now has brought it to pass. And he's yielded himself to his part to play in God's plan. And, and now he moves into his final portion of this introduction. He says to Titus, a true son in our common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. This letter and all its contents to follow are specifically for Titus. He's writing them uh, to, for the benefit of Titus, but it's also intended, as many of Paul's letters were, to be read to a larger group of people um, that are under Titus's care, the recipient's care. And I think that that intention helps us to glean truths for ourselves today. Titus is described as a true son in common faith. And I think that this communicates that Titus is of like faith. He has the same purpose in life. He has the same motivations. And he is in line with Paul's understanding of what it means to be a servant of the Redeemer. He's also described as a, as a son. And this idea of sonship communicates that, that there is a community, that there is a, a commonality and a bond between individuals who have been saved by God to do the work of the ministry together. And I think it also communicates that God is a loving father. He's not just our master. It shows us that, that God cares and is personable as we are his children. It just, again, adds more and more to the motivation as to why we should serve faithfully. Paul then gives a a typical closing to the greeting of a letter. uh, And again, I think that we see some significant meaning here. He says, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. And what's happening here is, is 
Paul is recognizing that grace, mercy, and peace are all given by God and Christ to his children as they serve him. And Paul is asking for this blessing to be upon Titus as he pursues his mission and work for his Redeemer. Paul is going to do so primarily. He's going to show his investment in the ministry of Titus primarily through the contest of the letter to come. But I think in this blessing, we see it as well. That Paul cares about the work of the ministry that Titus is doing. And so he asks that God would give him grace and mercy and peace as he seeks to fulfill his responsibility as a redeemed servant. And we see that loving investment of a, a ministry leader to an up-and-coming ministry leader who is, who is helping grow this young church. So I, I've recently gotten into hunting. And I, I love the outdoors, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for God's creation. And I love being outside. Uh, I also really enjoy eating venison. Um, it's really tasty. It really is good. And it's better for you, too. Um, and, and that idea of providing meat for my family also uh, intrigues me. And, and I, I like that idea of being able to provide meat and put it in the freezer and... Um, and this has been my first season ever hunting. I, 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 I've wanted to do this since I was a child, but I never had the opportunity to do it um, until this last uh, year. And I have no clue what I'm doing. I am completely new to it. Um, and so there, there's a lot of things that I just, I don't know. But I've completely bought into the lifestyle. I've completely bought into it. I, I have the equipment. I bought a bow. I bought camo. I've, I've um, researched uh, good venison recipes even. Um, and and I've, I've watched countless videos of, of other people shooting deer and, and, uh, and how they process it and, and how they use it. And, uh, but I've not gotten one myself. I, I, I have yet to do that. So I'll let you know when I do. Um, but I'm completely clueless. And, and there's a lot of other people out there who also place great value on this lifestyle. They, they also, they share a, a value and a love for the outdoors and for venison and for this, uh, this hobby of hunting. And, and that common love of those things has, has brought some people into my life who have taken it upon themselves to help me to give me tips and tricks and, and take me out and, and help me to see where, where are the deer coming from? Like, is this a good spot to sit? Or, or what do I do when I actually shoot a deer? Like that kind of thing. And what are the laws surrounding hunting? And, and they've stepped into my life because of our common love for these things to help me to be successful in my pursuit of providing meat for my family and enjoying the outdoors. How much more should this be the case with us as servants of our Redeemer? How much more should the gospel and the character of God bring us together in, in commonality and reach out to, to others and to younger individuals who are believers and help guide them and teach them as they pursue the goal of furthering the gospel in submission to God's faithful character as servants of their Redeemer? How much more should that compel us as young people to 
Reach out to those who are wise and well-learned in the faith and glean from them how God has worked in, them, in their lives and, and be taught and, and help be grown as we pursue Christ's likeness and as we pursue serving our Savior. And this last verse of the opening carries with it an example of what serving our Redeemer means. It means we must invest in the lives of others, in the lives of other redeemed people, and help them to see that they must seek to further the gospel in unique ways uh, that, that, that God has allowed them to serve. This is a common teaching of Paul uh, that the truth and practice should be taught to others who are faithful, who will do the work of the ministry. We see this concept, uh, we refer to it oftentimes as discipleship. Paul models that here in, in, in just writing the letter to Titus in and of itself. He's in a position of leadership within his ministry, but he it doesn't mean that you and I need to be in that same position or in similar positions. Uh, to, to be a discipler, to, to invest in the lives of others who are striving to fulfill their part in the redemptive plan of God. The very fact that you are redeemed, if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, means that you can take the message that you have believed and share it with others. And maybe that is by teaching and preaching. And maybe that's something you need to think through and pray through. Maybe it just means grabbing a younger man or a young lady and and getting a cup of coffee and reading the scriptures together and encouraging one another as you you seek to further the gospel to to those who have yet to believe and as as you seek to continue day in and day out to submit yourselves to the one who has redeemed you. And maybe you're a young person. Maybe you want to be helped as you strive to serve your Redeemer, and maybe that means seeking out someone to help, to encourage you, to teach you, and to train you up as you walk uh, and fulfill this life of service to the Lord. And maybe you're here this morning, and, and you don't know if you've placed your faith and trust in Christ. You, you haven't taken that step of faith in response to the, the glorious display of the gospel. And I would challenge you to, to trust Christ, to trust the one who has shed his own blood to pay the price for your sin. And when you trust him, then step into a life of meaning, a life of purpose, a life of hope and peace, yielded to one who is loving and kind and faithful and sovereign. This passage here this morning should challenge us to view ourselves as redeemed servants if we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, servants of a sovereign and faithful God, and allow our redemption to motivate a life dedicated to furthering the gospel, of humbly submitting ourselves to God's faithful and sovereign plan, and to invest in the lives of the next generation to become faithful servants of our peace-giving, loving, merciful Sovereign and faithful God. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be used of you. God, what a wonderful example we have in Paul as a, as a bondservant and as a dedicated servant of you in response to redemption. 
with a purpose. And God, I pray that as we contemplate and as we meditate on our redemption, our salvation, the glory of the gospel, that it would motivate us, that it would compel us to further the gospel, to submit ourselves to your sovereignty, and to do the work of the ministry. And so God, challenge us this morning. Draw us closer to you and help us to see the significance and the importance of a life lived for the one who has given us so much grace and so much love. And we pray these things and we ask for your help for these things in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly and to God be the glory.